see some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. Uh, when it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got that on video of it almost falling <laughs> oh great that'll be the instagram clip <laughs> oh wonderful <laughs> oh lordy yeah god yeah friggin guy it's tuesday and it is the 22nd of december and uh this is spit this is the spit podcast all things talking about surf with scott bass and david lee scales david good morning Good morning, Scott. Uh, Christmas week. Exciting. I got your Christmas card. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Um, seriously, do you love Christmas? Um, yeah, I mean, Christmas is an important part of the year. You know, it's sort of like a marking, a time, you know, like a mark on the calendar. Um, and it conjures up uh, certain feelings. And, um, and, you know, I love it just like I love spring and I love, you know. So you East, don't. So you don't <laughs> love Christmas particularly well. Easter and July 4th and, you know, Boxing Day and all of these, all of these things mark a certain place on the calendar and, and come with certain feelings and emotions and um, themes and wow. poems. Wow, Scrooge, Ebenezer in the house. <laughs> Not even. Uh, wait, so you don't have particular fondness for Christmas? I mean, Christmas is, I would say, the favorite holiday for the vast majority of people. You don't feel the same way? Um, I mean, I don't not like Christmas. I love Christmas. I like Christmas, but I don't jump out of, you know, I, I don't. Who hurt you? Know, you? <laughs> nobody hurt me. I love Christmas. What, but, do you, you know do what you, I don't like is like this mandatory spend of money that accompanies it yeah by the way buy buy your stay cover (laughs) buy your (laughs) surfers are the worst t-shirts right now last minute gift at staycover.com surfers are the worst will they get there by christmas though it's the 22nd if they order today well i you know 22nd make it a new year's day there you go there you go um so I want to dig into this. I want to, this reveals so much, or I feel like it potentially could. Okay. Did, uh, do you and your wife still give gifts? To, to each one, other? To one another, yeah, yeah. Absol- absolutely. You do? Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, at, at a certain, I mean, at a certain I'm gonna point. Give you, I'm, I'm going to give you a little tip. Okay? okay, tell me. Every time you go to the grocery store, you should come home with flowers for Lauren. I go to the grocery store daily. It's, I don't care. Every time I go to the grocery store, I buy flowers. Wow. How often do you go? Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> no, I go, I go, you know, I go once a week, maybe. And is she appreciative every time? Of course. And more importantly, uh, you know, it's a, a chance to get out of self and to think about somebody else. Hmm. I like it. Yeah. Hard to argue with that, Scott. Yeah. How long you guys been married? 
22 years. I would say that would be considered a success. Yeah, we'll see how it goes today, you know. <laughs> see how it goes when you give her a Christmas gift? A <laughs> one day at a time deal. Can you say what you got her for Christmas then? I got her silk pajamas. Okay. Yeah. Nice. I bought, I, it was a purchase off of Instagram and it might be, I, I don't know if it's my first purchase off of Instagram, but uh, something popped up on my Instagram feed. And Women in silk pajamas, apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, so anyway, this Lunia, L-U-N-Y-A, Lunia, this brand popped up as a promoted ad. And I was like, oh, my, life, my wife loves silk pajamas. And um, so I, I used Instagram to make a purchase have you ever used instagram to make a purchase i have actually i've been loving it uh i think their algorithm is smarter than i am in a lot of ways like it knows that i happen to need a new pair of shoes because it knows the last pair that i bought was two years ago you know or whatever and it starts feeding me stuff before i even know that i need it um with reputable brands i'll just go it'll advertise to me on Instagram and I'll go directly to their website and make the purchase. But there has been a few brands I've never heard of that pop up and it's like, Oh, you know, I would want that. And then it turns out that it's just, it's like mass manufactured made in China shipping from China. And it takes two months to actually get here. Yeah. And I'm looking for a tracking number and it's on some third party crazy uh, shipping site that I've never heard of before. And I feel like maybe I've been taken and then eventually the product shows up. Yeah. So some of it's a little more sketchy than others. Some like, you know, less than reputable companies are using the algorithm to promote and market their yeah. product. But yeah. Um, no side, side note question. Have you ever worn a pair of silk pajamas? No, no, I haven't, but I'm looking forward to the day that I do. <laughs> um, when you're sitting in the car outside of Trader Joe's in your sub pajamas, not going in, shaking your cane at all the people. That's part of my Walmart disguise. I go silk pajamas, glasses, and a beanie. Nobody will know. Um, I got lots of feedback about our mm. Trader Joe's commentary. Everybody loved it and fully agreed with you. Yeah, it's, it's a known thing. I, we need oh. to make a, a phrase for it. I, I'm not sure what we call it, but it's, um, you know... It's a mindset that occurs at Trader Joe's and it's, it's uh, scarcity yeah. sets in. Um, how is your Christmas going to be different with COVID? Well, you know what we got for Christmas from my sister-in-law was she purchased us dinner from Ranch 45. Now, I don't know if you know anything about Ranch 45, but they, they, they sell these wonderful, um, they have a, a deal with a meat provisioner called Brant Beef, B-R-A-N-D-T Beef. I don't know much about it, but everything on the Ranch 45 Instagram account looks incredible. And, and they're friends of mine, and they sponsor the boardroom show as well. And they're a local outfitter, provisioner of foods here in San Diego. And so anyway, I'm having a wonderful, um, some sort of beef roast that's been pre-purchased from Ranch 45 by my sister-in-law. So we're having, that's how it's different for me this year is that They're we're having a dinner. Ranch 45 dinner sent. Yeah. Rather than getting together with your sister-in-law. Right. There'll be no getting together. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. So just you and the wife and the kids. Yes. Nice. That'll be fun. Intimate. Yeah. Forced intimacy. I'm actually, um, I'll just, I'm not going to get any further into it than this, but I'm doing some volunteer work. Christmas. Oh, nice. Yeah. Christmas day. Yeah. Awesome. Good on you, Scott Bass. Hey, um, your, your Christmas card. Yes. I loved your Christmas card. I think it's so sweet, but here's my, I'm going to have a, I'm going to give you a criticism. Okay. Constructive criticism. Okay. This year it was perfect. Your card was perfect this year. From now on, more Sophie and more Lauren and less David. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine with that. Dude, I got Christmas cards from friends that mom and dad aren't even in it at all. It's just the kids and then you flip the back and it's a dog. And you're like, what? Where's mom yeah. and dad? Yeah. So I have to accept becoming fourth fiddle pretty quickly here. Not only accept it and encourage it and enjoy the fact that you're not in the front. I'm actually fully fine with it and um, opted not to pose for a Christmas card for anybody listening right now going, what do you guys like set up in front of a Christmas tree with your dog and got dressed up and posed? No, 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 no. Lauren found photos from our archive of our year together and used those photos. Let me ask you this. Did you, have you ever sent out a Christmas card before like just with you like you're like you're you're a single guy and you're like you know what it's time to send out christmas cards no. have you ever done that okay never so so this is the domestication of david lee scales the fact that i got a christmas card from you which was super sweet i was so stoked to be i felt like you had included me in your how did that go down by the way was it like shit i guess we should send scott a card too no we Since only we only ordered 40 you're yes. on a very elite list. Wow. Thank very, you. Yeah. I had a list of a hundred. I had to shed like 60 of them just to right. keep it tight, tight 40. Right. Sweet. So, yeah. It's kind. Yeah. Well, Merry by the way, Christmas. we don't, we don't do Christmas cards, which is sort of a bummer. It's sort of a, a failing of the Bass family. We've never done a real Christmas card. And, um, I'm going to put that on my wife. <laughs> was, it, was it an organizational issue? No, just that we're just, you know, we both work. We're so busy. It's like we can barely get around to, but it's one of those things where if you don't send out a Christmas card, you start to year after year, get fewer and fewer Christmas cards yourself, you know, yeah. which is also just part of the world we're living in now. Like people aren't really mailing things as much anymore. Yeah. Um, but my mom, so I have three brothers my mom has four boys, no girls. And she would always get, as we kind of moved out of the house, she would always get us all back together at some point around Thanksgiving, make us take a photograph, even coordinate our outfits. And then she would send out those Christmas cards. But it became increasingly hard as we all grew up, harder to organize our schedules. And before long, we're doing it on December 15th. And then she's got to order the cards as quick as possible and try to get them out as quick as possible. Then I have a brother moved to Italy who's in the military. Another brother moved elsewhere. And uh, then she starts Photoshopping people in together. And it just became <laughs> such a mess. And then at some point, she's sending them out at the beginning of January, you know, and they're Christmas themed still. It's not like it says Happy New Year. It says Merry Christmas, but it's going out in January. And Will is like Photoshopped in and his lighting's entirely different. And so we abandoned that probably a year or two ago, but she put up a really good fight for like a decade. Wow, good for her. Yeah, yeah. 
that's sweet. It's these traditions that you held on to that make you feel nostalgic, you know? And I will yeah. argue with you. I will argue yes. that Christmas does stand alone. Christmas does in no way is related, can be related to the 4th of July or whatever else that you... Well, are you a Christian? Yeah. Okay. So you celebrate Christmas as the birth of Christ. Yeah, but to me, that... Yes, that matters, but it's it's bigger than that even. It's uh, universal. It's a time of year that I think offers the opportunity to reflect back, to be grateful, to spend yeah. time with loved ones, to shut down work, by the way. Like this week, nobody expects you to return emails or phone calls, so you can kind of enjoy the... Um, so all the things that you mentioned aren't really have anything to do with with Christ being born. They have more to do with sort of this winter solstice, the 21st, um, the shortest day of the year. Um, all cultures sort of look at this time and, and, and do with it as they will regarding, I mean, it, it sounds like you, you, just, you just basically described Thanksgiving. I'm good with Thanksgiving too. But what I'm saying is uh, if you're talking about dividing the world into groups and like Christians celebrate Christianity, even fewer people celebrate Thanksgiving. Like you could yeah. narrow a smaller window down to Thanksgiving. I'm saying Christmas is an opportunity regardless of religious affiliation, I think for the entire world yeah. to participate in something. Um, and so that's what I think is unique about it or special about it or worth, you know, acknowledging. What's interesting obviously is that in the Southern hemisphere, this is the longest day of the year, Perfect. not the shortest day of the year. So, this idea that, oh, the days are short and it's time to reflect and, you know, there's plenty of nighttime to get together with people yeah. only works for half the, na- half of the world. True. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I'm excited for Christmas and uh, this didn't even like, I'm in celebration mode already. Pipeline. I love pipe. That's what I was talking about. December 8th being a kickoff for the holiday season for me. Um, pipeline is celebratory. Making notes for it for this show doesn't even feel like a chore. It doesn't feel like part of my workload. It just feels like, sweet, let's just riff on Pipeline, Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I I mean, like I said, I'm a fan. Right. I could hear it in your voice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, do we go straight into Pipe? That's the only news story I've got. Yeah, let's do that. And and I'd like to start off with the women's side of the equation, right? Because I'm a little, I want to get your take. And my take on it is that um, Tyler Wright should not have won the Pipeline Masters. So not to jump to the end of the show, it would make sense if we called John John the Duke this week, because obviously he finally got his Pipe Masters. Carissa's my Duke. Yeah, I mean... I'm not sure if Tyler Wright should have won the final. She did not look. Here's the deal, right? This is the they're celebrating this as the first ever women's CT at Pipeline, the first ever Pipe Masters, so to speak. Even though it was the Maui Roxy Pro, the first ever. This is the one where you need to cement in, you know, sort of foundationally for the women that to win this event, you need to get tubed. And it's not like there weren't t- tubes uh, to be had out there. And Carissa Moore certainly got one. Yeah. And I think that Carissa Moore should be the pipeline master for the one that got two. The two waves that Tyler Wright got, we all saw them. They were hideous. The oh. first wave was the her first wave was pretty cool. She did some good turns, you know, Tyler Wright style, whatever. The second one was horrific. And 
um, she should not be crowned the pipeline master. Now, maybe she's not. Maybe she's the Roxy Pro champion, and they're not. And it, it's sort of weird. Maybe this wasn't the first women's pipeline masters because the entire draw didn't get to go through the pipe event or surf at pipe, I mean. So, you know, well, in a weird way, it's got a strange asterisk. So go ahead. You're absolutely right. And who was the performer of the event? Unequivocally, Carissa Moore was. So this shows automatically, it shows a failure of kind of the subjective judging criteria. I would argue further, Tyler Wright got a 10 in round or day one uh, in Maui, opening day of competition in Maui. Compare that to Carissa's 9.87 backdoor ride. Carissa's is doubly as good. Carissa's backdoor ride, which wasn't a 10, was way more critical, way more dramatic, way more difficult to ride, just infinitely. And I know that your only judges are only judging one heat, those waves against one another in the heat, and every heat now becomes a new kind of judging criteria. But still, you have to recognize, if you go back and look at this event and go, oh, there was a 10-point ride, and then you go, oh, yeah, but Carissa got not only her backdoor ride, but the couple of other waves that she got at Pipe as well. Um, so you're right when you say maybe there's maybe this isn't the first women's pipeline event because it's actually titled the Roxy Pro. However, this was an absolute opportunity for the women to rise to the occasion. Like they simply, one of the arguments about, um, you know, uh, why do the women not perform to the level of the men at somewhere like pipeline? And the argument again is opportunity. They don't have the opportunity. And I fully agree that that is the reason, but here was an opportunity to step up where actually it's not even titled the pipeline. This is kind of just going to be a one-off where it's almost a test run. And Tatiana Weston Webb hired Ross Williams's coach, which I think was a fantastic move, obviously. Ross was posting Instagrams the days leading up to it, blocking for Tati at Pipe. And Tati actually, obviously she charges. She's charging. She actually got an insane wave and got spit out of it that I did not think she was going to make. So I actually was kind of betting my money on Tati. Well, the opening uh, heat of the women's event was the final quarter final that didn't get finished at Maui. So they ran that as, as the first women's event or first heat at Pipeline. It was Tati versus Sage. And it was not good. Uh, they both spent 15 minutes looking for barrels and they were looking for on like smaller waves, but grabbing the rail and trying to pull in and the wave either wouldn't be barreling or they would eat it on the takeoff or they would just like be out in front of it and then have to kick out. Halfway through the heat, Sage Erickson decides she's going to do a backside turn and she gets a three on it. And so then that becomes what they're now chasing. Tati realizes, oh, now I'm actually losing because she's got a three. So Tati gets another wave. She makes an airdrop, which is cool, but then she does a snap, five stage cutback, tries to bank the end section, doesn't make, eats it on the end section, then gets a four or five. That was the highest scoring wave of the heat for doing one snap and two terrible turns. And so now you're vying for just these marginal scores with turns. They completely abandoned the idea of getting barreled. And the first heat is won by a snap, essentially, a 4.5. Tyler Wright and Sally Fitzgibbons were next. Sally 
had never surfed pipeline before. And she got a combined heat total of 2.87 in that heat, which is kind of understandable. He never surfed pipe before, but Tyler was the first one who actually looked comfortable out there. She looked like she kind of knew the reef. She was making little improvements on every wave and she didn't properly get barreled, but she got like throaty backdoor waves that were like good pocket rides. And you could tell she was just getting more and more comfortable. So that's kind of what you want to see. And that you can't, I can't even criticize. That is taking the opportunity, applying your talents and pushing your limits. The other girls, Sally and, you know, I mean, Tati charges, but she just didn't, she just didn't execute when it came down to it. Yeah, I think you nailed it. Um, this was really a failure of the judging staff, in my opinion. As soon as you give three whatever to somebody doing a turn, you've you, you you've changed the equation for everybody. And you need if you're doing a turn, you should be getting a one point two, which immediately yeah. everyone would go, Oh, I guess turns aren't gonna work. We're gonna have to hunt the barrel. And this is an opportunity. Look, we know that the girls, many of you know, nine out of 10 of the girls are going to struggle out there. And that's okay. Like, we're going to give you that, you know, like we're going to give you some leniency, but like for Tati Webb to be charging late, late drops, maybe not making it, maybe some, you know, give her some points, give her three yeah. points for not, you know, making it, but for getting to your feet or like for charging, you know, the degree of difficulty when she charges on a, a left back door and doesn't make it, she shouldn't be getting a point two we should be giving her a 3.2 yeah. and there, and then giving Carissa a 7.2 for making those like corner tubes that she was making, you know? And so it was a failure of the judging in my opinion. You nailed it. I agree. Tati charged. Like she actually went on a couple set waves late and like, I don't know what else she could have done other than maybe be in slightly better position. Cause she has the talent to make them. And she obviously has the bravado to go and there was multiple waves like that. And I agree with you. Those should have scored better than Sage Erickson's backside turn, which by the way, was just a stock standard backside turn that we see her do in Oxnard. It wasn't as if like, it wasn't Tommy Carroll's like under the lip blast on a double overhead wave, you know? Yeah. Yeah. This was, this was a bummer that as we, you know, like I, I won't, you know, reiterate what you've already said, but I just will. It, the judges failed us here. And they failed the women because we want the women to be pushed to the point where they're like, okay, I have to start charging. I have to put pipeline in my repertoire. I have to get better out here. It can't yeah. be, oh, we're having a heated pipe. I know. I'll take off on the corner at back door and do a couple turns and drift down and paddle out through the channel. See, I don't think there's any excuse for Sally to say, I've never surfed pipeline before. And it gets added to the schedule this year through you know, uh, whatever cataclysmic, cataclysmic intervention and your excuses. I've never surfed there before. You're a professional surfer. Look at the long list of from Kiala Kenley and Rochelle Ballard and everybody who just, who was out there with no contest incentive because it is the greatest wave in the world. And it's just, it's a proving ground. And so if Sally goes to Hawaii every single year, she should be at least paddling out into that lineup and trying to suss out what's what if she wants to be a world champ. If it's not on tour this year, it might be on tour next year. And you want to be prepared for that eventuality. And Carissa yeah, you, Moore you know is what out you there. Do? You know what you do is you do kind of what Tati did. I mean, you hire Kyborg or you hire yeah. somebody to, you know, help you get a footing at the spot. 
I personally believe that the event should that that the uh, women should have an event at Pipe from now on. Like yeah. if we've broken the glass ceiling, we can't, you know, put the glass pieces back together and tell them they can't go out there. I right. think that this is like a done deal. There, there is no more Roxy Pro at Honolulu Bay, yeah. in my opinion. Or maybe there is, but there's also going to be a pipe event for the women. I think there right. should be. And Carissa and Tati were, I, I would, you know, everyone knows Carissa can, can surf out there and she proved it. Well, she actually has been working with Jamie O'Brien. Um, I don't know if we discussed on the show, but she did a, uh, Jamie O'Brien obviously has his YouTube vlog and she was featured in one of those episodes two or three months ago. And the concept was, I want Jamie to show me how to get barreled at pipeline. And so they paddled out there together. Jamie was on a soft top and he was kind of coaching her into waves. And it was actually kind of funny because he seemed to be coaching her into the crappy ones and like keeping the good ones for himself. Like you watch Carissa's Carissa never actually made a barrel out there in the video, but you see her going over the falls on closeouts and then cut to Jamie O'Brien out the back on a perfectly reeling wave, just getting shacked. Exactly. So it's like, wait a second, you hired him and then he baited you in like I do with my buddies start hooting for them when a closeout's coming. Um, but the point the point is like time in the water there matters and ultimately if you're just out there free surfing without a coach you're gonna go over the falls on a bunch of closeouts over and over and over probably for years and so i'm okay with look the fact that carissa did that in the off season put her in position she had so let's not overlook the fact that uh sage erickson sally fitzgibbons had empty pipeline to themselves and didn't make a barrel and backdoor and had plenty of opportunities. So, and, and they looked horrible by the way, like relative <laughs> to Carissa, the comfort level, exactly. it was exactly. obvious, you know, there was like, no, I'm not going. Yeah. And of and course, Carissa, the, go ahead. So Carissa in her semifinal heat freaking ruled it. Like within, uh, it was against Tatiana actually. And within two minutes, Pipe left comes, not a, not a crazy one, but like a good six foot pipe left. Tati didn't even paddle. Like Tati didn't even look at it. Carissa just like stroked into the thing uncontested, grabbed the rail, barrel, blown out. And it, it was a stark contrast to the previous heats that, were, that we saw, where it's like, oh, she knows what she's doing. And then she went back out there, got that back door wave, which was so critical. It was a critical drop. She landed kind of over her toes in the barrel like at the most gaping part of the thing and like had to readjust in the tube, got upright and then like blown out like a full proper crazy backdoor ride. And you could see actually the camera kind of cuts away on most of the angles, but I did see one angle where after she kicked out, she was like, like almost screaming to the sky, like a hoot, like a true guttural visceral, like, Oh, that was like one of the best waves I've ever gotten in my life. It was epic. Yeah, I, I was, like I said, I was really impressed um, and, and also re- really disappointed with, some, with you know, the, the other women. So. Well, to Tyler's credit, um, that's how you win world titles is she, uh, not by not getting barreled, but by knowing that you have 30 seconds left or however much time she had left in that heat, knowing that she needed a small score and going on a wave and forcing manufacturing a score like those little mechanical decisions throughout the course of the season 
you know, and not being um, deterred by the scores that she's got up against her with a little bit of time on the clock. Like she manufactured the score and a win and that's how world titles get won. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you can't argue with that. It was just that second score in, in particular was just probably some of the most horrendous surfing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't like she did a good turn or anything. No. It no. looked like a beginner. It wasn't, I mean, of. so the first, it was a, it, it was the a first flat turn, wave. If you want yeah. to call it a turn, was just like her feet were in the wrong place. It was just, it looked horrid. And I, you know. I agree. It will. So the problem too with that was um, Carissa had just gotten another backup score. I think it was a left at pipe and put her in the lead position with Tyler needing a new replace, a new backup score. Yeah. And so she needed like came, a 1.9 or something or one point something. And she got like when, a three something. Yeah. So when that wave came to Tyler, the clock is maybe already expired or close to it. Carissa's making her way to the beach. We're all on the sand waiting for scores. And so when you have that level of anticipation and drama building up and it's the final and you're at pipeline, but you know, the person, you know, surfed a mushy wave for like, and you don't want bad. She and didn't surf it bad. Good. And Carissa's last wave was a back, was a pipe barrel. Like it's hard to justify that score for Tyler. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And again, we bl- I'm blaming the judging. The, the judging was wrong here. You know, they set, yeah. a, they set a scale that was just wrong. And it's unfortunate. Um, I will say this, as you have mentioned many times, and I agree, Tyler Wright is a great champion. She's a great voice for women surfing. She's super articulate. She, um, she's fun to listen to. You know, yeah. like her, her post-heat interview was, was gracious and um, and I'm I'm very happy for her. I'm glad that you know she's seeing success. I just I don't think that particular heat should have gone to her. And she wasn't the standout surfer of the event. Yeah. But I agree. Like at the beginning of the event, I said day one, I said that to you. I was like, dude, she looks unstoppable. And by the way, probably for a world title too. I predict her to win this event. I predict her to win the world title. But once it got shifted to pipeline, Carissa was clearly the person in charge. Yeah. Um, as we transition to the men's event, can we talk about the survival league? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently I'm in a loser's bracket now. Apparently there's a, such a thing as a, as a loser. I got an email. It said, dude, this is the email they send to everybody that lost, right? The blanket standard email. You did not survive. You couldn't even make it past event number one. You're getting this email because unfortunately you picked a surfer who either got 33rd or 17th and that's about 23% of the pool. Awesome. The survival gods were angry. What did you do to upset them? So now what? Well, there's always next year and we're doing a loser's pool. More details to come. So they're going to sucker me back in so I can stay involved, which is a smart business move. Yeah. Um, so you picked Seth Mooney's, which was actually a good pick. I thought like, who would have thought Seth would lose? So did 23% of the pool. I mean, that wasn't all Seth picks. They probably also picked right. some other no, people. No, you're right. You're right. But it, it's, it's fun. You can see how these things are fun because all it takes is an upset to wipe out a good chunk of your competition. I mean, if Kelly would have got, if Kelly would have lost 70% of the people would have lost. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but the funny thing was Peterson Crisanto 
who I was trying to bait people to take to get rid of some of the people, um, he made it through, or he didn't make it through his first heat, but it was a non-elimination heat with a total of like 1.87. Like he basically delivered on my expectation or lack thereof. And then in the subsequent couple of heats, he freaking turned on. It was amazing to watch him come from, you know, uh, out of nowhere, essentially. And he honestly was on, I'd say, three different potential 10-point rides throughout those two rounds. I mean, just waiting out the back, perfect left comes. He just charges into it, pulls up into the big gaping thing and somehow doesn't make it. But had he made any of those waves, they would have been a highlight for the entire event. And I forget who he made it through in the first of those heats to then go uh, past the elimination round in the survival league. And then he eventually lost. But it was wonderful to see him kind of over-deliver on the expectations. Yeah, you know, speaking of those waves that he didn't make, I thought there was a moment that the commentators, it might have been Strider or Ross Williams, I don't know who it was, but they made a great, um, they made some great insight, which was that it seemed because of the way the sand was and the situation at the break, the first wave of the sets didn't have that, it had more of a clampy moment at the end. And the second wave, for whatever reason, offered uh, more of an opportunity to exit the tube cleanly. And that was yeah. some good commentary. And I think it's important that you and I, it's so easy to poo-poo those guys, but we should um, also point out when they make some great um, insight. And I thought that that was really good because for the rest of the event, as an end user, we could sit there and watch the first wave clamp and the second wave stay open. And that takes balls as a competitor, especially with priority, to just let that first one slide underneath you and hope there's another one behind it. Yeah. Well, you should have taken my advice for the Survival League and got Peterson Crisanto. Yes. I thought I was trying to lead you astray, yet it was prophetic. I thought I was so clever, Seth Moniz. I figured that was a no-brainer. Um, Felipe Toledo, will he ever be world champ? No. He certainly no, he will not. Why not? I mean, he'd look kind of pathetic out there, don't you think? Fully. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, there's, yeah. there's no two ways about it, especially with, we, we have sunset on tour now. It's like, <clears throat> there's no excuse. I mean, he just needs to spend more time in Hawaii. Like there's no excuse to not pull an Adriano and spend two months there, you know, and, and just focus on pipeline. And by the way, I hope that I'm wrong. And I know that you hope you're wrong. There's nothing we'd rather see than Felipe prove us wrong and put in the hard work and, and turn from, you know, uh, just turn into a charger out there, you know, and I think it can be done. I mean, Jeremy Flores is a great example of this, you know. Um, I've said many times, I know you, you'll recall that there was an event at Chopu and they were, the, the waiting period was over and the surfers were voting on whether to continue it because there was a swell the next day and Jeremy Flores was like, no, let's cancel it. And all of the other guys, including Andy Irons, basically said, what? We're doing this. And, and for, for whatever reason, Years later, Jeremy Flores is this guy we can count on in solid, churning, mean, powerful surf over shallow reefs. So that's what Felipe needs to do, is he needs to put in the time. And it's really the only, it's the last piece of the puzzle. Totally. Yeah, it's a, it's a, head shape, a headspace shift, for sure. He just, if you compare and contrast what he does at snapper, you know, rippable uh, spots, 
the level of confidence, it's an entirely different person. So it's not just surfing ability and talent. It is a headspace of sheer dominance when he's in those smaller wave spots that he completely lacks at pipeline. Like he can get to his feet and he can get barreled and he'll do that on like the corner waves. He got a corner one in 2019. Um, And he's gotten a couple of backdoor, but it's a confidence thing. He's just not, yeah. He does not look comfortable out there. At and, and, it's, and it's noticeable. I mean, you can sit there. I mean, I, I sit there and I watch him and you can see yeah. that it's just, you know, he's got, obviously he's got all the talent in the world. He can do it. And it's just a matter of he needs to hire somebody to block for him out there and put in the time out there. Cause it's a, a mental- it's a beast. Pipeline's a beast of a, of a situation of a competitive situation because you do have to put in time. The competition really takes place before the competition. Totally. I mean, you got to put in massive time in a, the gnarliest crowd in the world. Yeah. I mean, it's not easy. And I can see why they go, oh, you know what? I'm just going to put on a jersey and try to kind of like, you know, we- weasel my way through this event and hope nobody sees it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And- well, we're all watching and we're especially watching him because of his world title expectations. But um, Jack Robinson, rookie Jack Robinson, how did he look? I thought he looked great. Thought he looked amazing. Yeah, I thought I thought he fully lived up to his expectation or to uh, what we expect from him. And so I'll just kind of give you a quick rundown of my thoughts. I'm looking at Gabe. I'm looking at Idolo. I'm looking at Kelly. I'm looking at um, certainly John John, and I'm looking at Robbo. Maybe Jordy Smith actually forced me to look at him because he was actually looked like a new man. But when I look at all those guys through the event okay, they win their heats. You know, they get a six and a seven, they win their heat, make a couple mistakes here and there. Not until John John did I feel like anybody showed up like fully amped for the season. I felt like everybody had a slow start, like, and just kind of like eased into the competition. And maybe it's because they drew somebody like Felipe and they were like, yeah, I could waltz through this heat or whatever. John John showed up and was like electric and immediately getting eights and immediately like big old raps on the end section. And just like, I would go, I go, Holy cow. Not only is he the most like preternaturally talented at this just period, then this is his home break. Now he's surfing with the tenacity uh, that was missing the first couple of years that he was on tour then you cut to Kelly and it's like, okay, Kelly surfs really good and he'll know how to get barreled. But there was just an electricity from John John that felt like he showed up ready to win a world title this year. So um, Jordy had a little bit of it without the same level of talent maybe as John John. Jack Robinson had that preternatural talent, I think that was relatable to John John, where he just looks so comfortable out there. He's almost is in sync with the ocean to where he's going to will no matter what's happening in the heat, there's going to be an eight point ride that comes to him and he's going to surf it flawlessly. And John, John has that Kelly tends to have that. And so that was exciting to watch with Rob Jack Robinson. It was also exciting to see him come up against Kelly Slater in the draw because it really felt like we've had a conversation for 20 years now about Kelly's going to be passing the baton to the younger generation. And he, basically grabs the baton back and smacks them in the head with it. And Rob Jack Robinson, it looked like this was another iteration of that. I would have bet my money on Jack Robinson and Kelly fully schooled him. 
And Kelly did it not just through surfing ability, but did it through like just paddling up his rear end and like putting, putting pressure on him, using catching a bunch of waves under Jack's priority, just kind of getting Jack out of sorts. And so I feel like while Jack had a lot of tools at his disposal to win this heat, Kelly had one additional tool, which is 30 years on tour at the championship tour level. And he absolutely schooled young Jack Robinson. Yeah, in many ways, um, you know, we could look to this heat and say a year or two or three and go, this was the best thing that ever happened to Jack Robinson, you know, that he got a schooling by the, the goat. And, yeah. you know, that, that, you know, he can use it as a learning tool, as a learning experience and, and adapt and become stronger out at pipe. I mean, you know, if you've had to deal with Kelly's mind games and Kelly's tactics, it's, and you can take it and learn from it, which I know Jack Robinson will do. I mean, this is just going to cement Jack as one of the, you know, all-time great surfers of all time. And again, I think he'll, I think he'll use this as a, as a benefit. Well, it felt that way with John John in 2013, you know, um, where he and Kelly met. I think it was in the final at Pipe, and Kelly won that heat and the event. But you know, it was like. John John's so casual. Jack is so casual. They can get eights and nines out there. And like, sure, Kelly outsmarted him in this one, but next eight heats in a row that they're going to get, the other person won't. And they're so casual and talented that they're going to get the eights and nines and they're going to win. So it took years for John John to get pushed to the level that you're talking about and actually shift into overdrive, which I think we're seeing him in now. One other interesting thing about that heat was Kelly, um, broke a board and went in and swapped it out for a Weber. And I saw the name on the Weber. It was, the model was called an Electra and it was a quad and it was such a bizarre outline. Did you get a good look at the board? No, I did not. So wide point forward. And then there was like two bumps or wings in the, in the tail area uh, in front of the fins and it made the tail really narrow. And so almost like, you know, old pipeliners. They're wide forward. They have a real narrow tail, but they have a single fin. This had almost a similar distribution on the outline, except those two bumps. And then it had a quad setup. And I just thought, God, that thing's odd. And then I watched Kelly on waves. He was riding all up in the front half of the board. So when he was standing in back door, it looked like he was riding a 5.5 disc, like a 5.5 short fish. Yeah. But there was there was like four feet of board behind him, you yeah. know. It was bizarre, but That's he surfed cool. it really well. I think it yeah. was like, I think like if the waves are going to be you know eight, whatever six to eight feet and barreling, and you're not going to be doing a bunch of turns, the idea is you can get more paddle projection probably with that thing. You could sit up high. The fins are still going to hold and track back there, and it looked amazing to me. Yeah, I missed. I missed getting a close-up of that board but certainly kelly's performance looked solid and I, I would love to see that board is it i'm looking at your board behind you that twin fin and i'm thinking okay sort of like that outline but now we've got two bumps that are really pulling in the tail totally yeah yes yeah narrower narrower tail and this is a 6-0 album twinsman it looked like what kelly was riding was even longer like 6-4 or 6-5 yeah. or something but i mean wide point forward and then yeah. two bumps to narrow up that tail yeah. And a quad setup. Um, Weber Electra was the model. Uh, 
backstory with Kelly, he bruised both ankles riding an e-bike and going off of a jump during the COVID break from the event. Really? Where did he you said get this that, insight? He talked about it in a post-heat interview. Oh, and he cool. said And he said that if the contest would have run, you know, it got shut down because Eric Logan contracted COVID. Um, <laughs> to put it frankly, uh, the event got shut down because the CEO of the WSL contracted COVID. And that is not a made up headline. Um, during that downtime, if the event would have run, Kelly said he wouldn't have been able to surf because he injured those ankles going off a jump on an e-bike. <laughs> yeah, good what? for him. Good for what? him. <laughs> Bad for him. Why? I and know. then re-injured them at Pipeline the night before this heat. So it was like, dude, stay off. Like, what are you doing? You're clearly not going for world titles. We know that much at this point. Are you even trying to win events anymore? Like, what's going on here? Well, you know how Kelly is. I mean, he, it's almost like the more he doesn't really care, the better he does. And as soon as he has to put on the, oh, shit, let's get serious, he, he maybe he puts a little bit too much pressure on himself. Maybe, but you shouldn't be riding an e-bike. First of all, you shouldn't be riding an e-bike, period. Secondly, you shouldn't be going off <laughs> jumps when you're 48 years old. <laughs> and, and third, don't do it in the middle of the event at Pipeline. Are e-bikes... Like, what's the deal with e-bikes? Are they just lame? Uh, it's an electric bike. I mean, <clears throat> when I was growing up, a bicycle was used to get exercise. Right. So uh, an e-bike is a very different thing, and um, that's my only gripe. You know, what's fascinating is the e-bike culture at lowers and uppers in that whole area. Because I don't know if you were around, but there was a time, um, I think in the 90s, when it might have even been in the 80s, where there was a guy who had like a, a moped. And he would, or some sort of electric vehicle. And he would tow guy, he would tow you from the parking lot down to lowers. And you'd tip him or give him money. And he would just do laps. And of course, everyone got pissed off and shut down the concept of being able to use a motorized vehicle to access the state park that way. And that got shut down. And all of a sudden, the e-bikes just sort of started to slowly show up probably, you know, six or eight years ago or whenever it was. And now e-bikes are like, oh, well, what are you going to do? They've sort of like, there's too many to shut down. There, there really are. And I, uh, it makes perfect sense for something like lowers for people who don't live nearby. You know, it's a mile essentially from where you park your car to get down to the beach. And so it makes perfect sense for that because in my example, you're not using the bicycle to get exercise there. You're just using it to get to the place that you want to go surf and exercise in the water. So the e-bike makes sense, but I still think I'm anti like there, there's something great about having to work for it yeah. and it kept the crowd. It really didn't keep the crowds uh, thin, but probably thinner than they are now with the e-bikes. And I love seeing guys bomb that hill on a skateboard and then slide and get road rash trying to make the turn to go to uppers. Yeah. Like that was such a treacherous corner. Yeah, I've seen that wipe out. Yeah, it's gnarly. Let um, me ask you this. Here's a thought. Anybody who uses an e-bike at Trestles will never be a world champion because he's soft. Chloe Andino, are you listening? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm just saying, like you said, there's something about working for it, right? And you and I have right. always sort of, you know, we've always been behind the blue collar Adriano de Souza, go work for it kind of mentality. 
And you saying that e-bikes mean that you don't work for it makes me say, well, then if you ride an e-bike at lowers, you're never going to be a world champion. Yeah, is that, I agree. Is that true? It is 100% true. The e-bike is to the bike world what the SUP is to the surf world. Wow. Good one. If, I mean, no kidding, because if you're a cyclist, if you're a road cyclist, there's a bunch of rules and etiquette, yeah. you know, and, and safety, like you wear helmets and all that sort of stuff. These e-bikes show up going 30 miles an hour, bursting through the Peloton. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> what like with, no, with no helmet, wearing like sandals and flip-flops and like probably a beer koozie, like fashion, fastened onto the handlebars. It's not cool, dude. It's not cool. It's upsetting the entire ecosystem. What if you have an e-bike with a board rack and it has a sup in it and you're cruising, oh. you're cruising to go sup on your e-bike? Then, then not only will you never have a world title, you're not even allowed to get a set wave. Surfers are the worst, man. By the way, speaking so, of Eric Logan getting COVID, yeah. um, Nick Carroll wrote an interesting little bit on Surfline about, you know, in fact, I think I sent you a text. I'm like, where's the communication? All of a sudden, pipeline's on. I had no idea. Nobody told me it was on. And, and there's some good insight from Nick Carroll. Basically, he said, hey, you can imagine the hoops that everyone at the WSL and the city and county of Honolulu had to jump through to make this event happen. Many, many promises had to be made. A lot of fingers had to be crossed. Sadly, nobody was able to consult with the virus itself. SARS-CoV-19 was not on board with these promises and permits, and its sudden presence caused a lot of angst behind the scenes. The Department of Health's checks found no further infections, and they quickly cleared, green-lighted the event for resumption. However, the permitting authority, i.e. the county of Honolulu, and a number of political figures, probably the mayor, were totally furious about this. The WSL found itself walking on tiny little eggshells, given the green light or not. This is why they dared not say a word for five days, because they were worried that the wrong word said publicly might cruel a pitch that suddenly looked very delicate. No professional surfing contest had carried the weight of this one. It was a resumption of a tour that had given up on the year altogether back in July. This event had to work. So a pretty good insight there. Okay, go ahead. I like Nick. Yeah. I disagree with him entirely. Right. You need to give us updates. I, I honestly, I'm disgruntled. I invest so much time. They're asking, I'm their client. I am their core audience. I will watch every minute of the comp. I will buy what they're selling. I rearrange my work schedule, my personal life, just to watch this event. If you don't have the courtesy to update me and tell me, number one, how's the, how's the health of the people who contracted COVID? Number two, are we gonna extend the waiting period of this thing potentially? When do you expect that we might be able to run it? These are just basic things that they should do a morning show every morning and go, hey, here's the update. We're still talking to the city. We're still talking to the health, Hawaii State Health Department. Our lawyers are looking into the contract for our film permit and they're negotiating with these people. We've tested you know, everybody since then. These number of people are negative. These number of people are positive. Like basic just status okay, updates but, like that. Yeah, but 
I, I agree that that would be the right thing to do. For your customers. Right. But you understand, of course, that if they did any of that stuff, they've already, they're walking on eggshells. They've already pissed off people that are in power that can pull this whole thing in a heartbeat. And you're saying it's worth it to risk that. You'd rather have updates in a canceled event than no updates in an event. No, those that's aren't what the we're talking. Yeah, those are the only two. Those aren't the only two options. You can give us updates and not offend the how people do you that know? you're talking about. How offending. do you know what? How do you know what offends the political leanings of the county of and the mayor and these if, people if that that's, are that are already dealing with the, the tourism board and trying to green light you know, flights coming into the state and. I mean, there are so many things that you and I don't know about. So why did they give us? So why did they give us updates on the shark situation at Maui? They come. They come in the morning. They go, "Hey, we don't have any information." There was a fifty-six-year-old surfer from Lahaina. We don't know the status of their condition. They made it to the hospital, and we're not going to release their name. We'll, well give that, you more information didn't when have, we have it. I mean, that wasn't. That that's not the WSL's. You know place to tell you about the update of an accident exactly exactly so they say that they come and they go hey here's our face we know you're waiting and so we're going to validate the fact that you're waiting and that you rearranged your schedule right. and tell you that we don't have any information yeah but this is and we'll come much, we'll let you this this actually is a like this this um this is actually the situation in on the north shore is much more nuanced than that this so the maybe situation on the north so maybe you don't give all the information that I said you should give. They should at least show their face and say, we're dealing with these entities and we're still working out a solution. We'll let you know as soon as we have more. Information. Okay. And if they just That'd said that, if they just said that and the, and because they said that they pissed off a politician. How, who I'm, did that piss off? How could you possibly? And if somebody's that sensitive, I'll tell you that's how, unreasonable. I'll tell you, well, look, politicians are unreasonable. They're trying to get reelected. They don't give a shit about what's reasonable or not. You're, this is, that'd be complete. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that, are you okay with one small little, what seems like just a tidbit, a morsel of information about what's going to happen next? You're okay with that potential morsel of info, pissing off somebody so that they pull the permits I, and I say, you're never, done. You're I okay with never, that. As a business, I would never have my back against the wall in such a way that some legislative- I, I'm not no, asking listen. about you. No, no, no. But I, this, I'm using this to make the analogy about the WSL. They put themselves in a position where their back's against the wall to where somebody's saying, you're not even allowed to update your customers about what the status of your product is. Yeah. Otherwise, we're going to renege on this deal. Yeah. I'd be like, well, I, then you're in a super vulnerable position as a business, and that's an indictment on the business itself. I'm not doubting that. I would agree that they're in a vulnerable position. I think they know that better than you and I. They got to walk around on. They've got, they've got people on the North Shore. They've got the county um, people in the county board of health, the state tourism board, the this, this mayor Caldwell. They've got all sorts of people that they've got to like negotiate politically. And I'm just saying it's a yes or no question, David. Are you okay with just one update? No, that's not a yes or no question. Yes, it is <laughs> because. Because no. that's what could have happened if just well, they could, said they said have. right. If you just, that's if not, they said those one, aren't the only two how, options. How do you know? And I don't know this, but how do you know that they said, "Look, don't say anything." Somebody politically said, "Don't say a word. 
if you clear, you can move forward. But right now, if you say anything, you're going to screw with my political future and I'm going to pull these permits. So don't say a word. Are you okay? Right. But obviously that's what's going down here. Then that's cronyism. That's a absolutely <laughs> welcome to the United States of America. No, especially you're the state of Hawaii. Well, I'm suggesting I hear what you're saying. I'm refusing to answer because I don't think those are the only two options. I think there's a third option, which is you have a PR department that caters to your customers and also caters to legislative bodies through delicate wording. And there is a way to navigate this. There, I would bet you there was absolutely a way to navigate this tactfully. And the WSL applied your logic that you're trying to apply right now and just thought, let's lock down. And that feels like an affront to me, the consumer. I go, hey, I'm here with you. I'm here with you throughout the year. And by the way, I'm here with you through the off season. And now you're in this one precarious situation that you backed yourself into, by the way, the CEO for the WSL never should have got, never should have been there in the first place. Like that you created these terrible optics that made you this vulnerable to where now you can't deliver a product to your customer and you can't even update your product. This would be like, I save all my money for Christmas. I put all my money into one product that I'm going to buy for everybody. And I do it in advance. And then they send me an email on Christmas Eve and go, Hey, we're not going to send you your product for your family. And we're not going to update you. We're not going to send you the shipping status on when you're going to get your product. Maybe you'll get it in 2021. We don't know. Look, you're not even giving you a window. You're correct on all of these things. However, my question to you is, are you willing to have the pipe masters canceled because you as the end consumer really, really needed to know what's going on. Are you willing to have the whole thing shut down just so that you can be informed? That's not or, the scenario. Or, or would you rather have no commentary and then the Christmas morning surprise of it's on, we're doing the event? Which do you uh, want? Because that's well, the way they looked at it. I'm not saying it's right. I'm I know that's, that's the way they looked at it. I think that wasn't their only two options. You don't know I'm, call, I'm, I'm indicting I'm indicting the people in charge making those decisions at the WSL as you could have navigated this differently. I think that the end result was a positive navigation. No, I don't. Well, okay, so let me ask you this because okay. I actually struggled with this. Once yeah. the event got called back on, yeah. I don't know, the wind's out of the sails a bit. Like, and I don't know if it's because you know, it was less than dramatic conditions that remained in the forecast. Maybe it was the fact that we already saw the best surfing of the winter happen during the exact waiting period when the contest was off, when Nate Florence is getting a 12 point ride at back door. Like the, the, the air has been let out of the balloon. It's lost its gravity. And by the way, the surfers were surfing like it's lost its gravity. John John was really the only one like Adriana De Souza, freaking didn't even like, didn't even put together 10 points between his two heats that he surfed. And the okay, vast well, majority of the surfers looked that way. All right. Well, did okay, you so feel, you, I mean, so, look, I, I just saying that I under, I, I think that the nuance of the political situation is far beyond what you and I know. And I'm suggesting to you that I think the WSL would, if they could have, given us some sort of minor little update. But they were, I, I believe, as Nick Carroll stated here, and I believe it to be the case, because I understand how Hawaii works, and it's a fickle, fickle beast. I believe that they were like, probably told, don't say a word. 
Like we're doing this thing. We've got COVID on your film permit and we may give you a green light, but you better shut up because my political future is at stake here. And if, and if, I, if you go out there and say, hey, they're going to let us go as soon as we get clearance, we're going to be back on, then I have other permits that are going to come knocking on my door going, hey, what about us? What happened here? How come you're giving favoritism to them? Oh, and then you got the state tourism board who's probably in the mayor's ear. And you've got, you know, there's stuff that, that's just way, so, way deeper than, than I'm pissed off as an end user that I didn't get told that they were going to have it. I am too. All of us are. But I'm glad, they, I'm glad they had it, and I'm willing to forego the insight that I was going to receive so that they could have had John John Florence be the first, his first ever pipe title. Congratulations, mm -hmm. John John. David Scales hates you. What, remember when Dave Prodan's um, title was something to do with communication, senior vice president of communications, blah, blah, blah. And then he got, he changed roles. He has a different uh, title now. Yeah. Who's in, who's in charge of communications? Who's in charge of PR? Like, is there even a department now? This is, I, this is really the point. I will say this. That, this that is the point that I'm getting at. There's a vacancy. The event, when the event was on, the day they turned it back on, Dave Prodan was eagerly communicating with me. And, and it's, that's rare. I mean, it's not rare, but you know, sometimes Dave goes silent because he's busy and he's got somebody else doing it. I think there's another person right below him. And but anyway, what, what, my what point is, is that the communication, I was asking him about, is there an extension of the waiting period? And he and I were communicating actively and aggressively on text. So my my, what I'm getting at is that it's obvious they wanted to communicate. They just couldn't. They were told by powers greater than them, if you communicate, it could be really bad for you. I think there's a void in the structure of the company for that PR communications department, and there simply wasn't a plan in place. Here's what I'll ask. Uh, okay, so aside, let's say you're right. I acquiesce. Why not tell us what Are you was applying going on? for a job right now? It sounds like you're applying for a job. You'd be good at this, by the way. Why not, when the event restarts, tell us what happened? Well. You can't just, so the <laughs> night got, before. You got me there. You got me you, there. The night I before. <laughs> They started, the event on, they started the event on Thursday, right, of last week, or restarted. Yeah. Wednesday night, they send out an Instagram, which, by the way, this is now I'm pissed. You need uh, to get hired. Eric, hire this man to be your communications director. So when they, on Friday, they said, we're shutting, we're going to suspend the event. They don't, not only did they not give us an update on the event, they didn't even post a social media post about surfing at all. Usually they're reposting little funny things that happen. Like they would have reposted Nate Florence's backdoor bomb. They didn't post anything. It was full radio silence about this is supposed to be the arbiters of surfing period. And they're not posting anything. Anyways, they How would you feel if they posted like some little short interview with Coco Ho? You'd be extra mad. You'd be like, they give me that, and they're not going to tell me what's going on with you. Like, like radio silence is radio silence. We're going I dark. Know. I don't know. We're not, we're not you going. You guys are. All I'm saying is, you guys wrote the rules for how I should view you, what I should expect from you, who you are as an entity. And so I'm just watching your rules. I'm playing by your rules. You can't then say, you can't then do something entirely out of character and me call you out, and then you go, telling me that it's my expectation that was failed. 
you're the ones who set the expectation. Dude, you're the king Anyways. of nuance. You're the king of nuance. You're the king of it's not always black and white. You're being extremely black here. No. And um, this is going to be healthy for you and Lauren. You need Listen, to <laughs> Listen to yes. me. Yes, sir. Uh, they call the event on Wednesday night. They post an Instagram and they go, hey, uh, surprise, we're back. We're going to run the event tomorrow. Get ready. And I'm like, oh, so now this scheduling situation, like I got to reschedule my life to be here for this. Okay, fine. Thursday morning, <laughs> Thursday morning, they call it on. Thursday morning, like a scorned lover, I'm climbing back into bed, ready to get chlamydia. And, and, and so Thursday morning, they turn the event on as if nothing happened. There's no like, hey, sorry about the downtime. They could have said what you just said. Hey, sorry about the downtime. We were working this really delicate dance between various organizations and it was prudent to just not talk. But good news, Eric Logan's healthy. Whoever else contracted that we haven't yet told you about is healthy. And we're really looking forward. Everybody here is safe. We're really looking forward to getting this event back up and running. Didn't even say that. Look, you got really fun Pipe Masters event to watch. It's like the makeup sex was really great. So just enjoy your makeup Amidia sex for WSL. <laughs> uh, I actually wasn't that great for me, as it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> it was a flaccid return because... Wow. Because all the air had been let out of the balloon, dude. I'm not kidding. Like, it just wasn't as exciting. Like, I lost interest. And by the way, you shouldn't be, the PR move that I was talking about mm -hmm. isn't because I'm a baby and I need to be coddled. It's yeah. you want to engage. You no, want to build that. up. Like, you want to build up hype. You want to. Have engage. they ever done this before? Have they ever done this before? Give them the benefit of the doubt this one time. Hey, they failed your, you. Your, they failed the you, obviously. Has the head gasket on your car ever blown before? No, it's not something that happens all the time. It slowly deteriorates until the head gasket blows. And then you go, oh, shoot. I should have been paying attention when the wheels were falling off. Or when, the, when it didn't start yesterday morning. You know what I mean? Like, literally, it didn't start yesterday. It didn't start for five days in a row. Why did I go to my car the sixth day and expect it to run perfectly? We've gone from... Departments are missing. We've gone from automobile analogies, sex analogies, or like what? Other, I'm just saying. I think it's deeper than you realize, and I and I sense now, and it's very clear that you would have rather had information with the possibility of completely canceling the event rather than no I mean, information. I, look, you you lost me when you got COVID and you suspended the event. Like right. that, that's what you that surprised you. Huh? You didn't, you well, didn't no. see that potentially happening. I did see that potentially happening, okay. but I'm saying that's where the blame lays. You can't then get 10 steps beyond that and go, Hey, me giving an update is going to cancel the event. If you're in a precarious situation where giving an update to your customer about their shipping date is going to cancel your entire business. So that's ominous. That's so ominous. You, you're saying when you get COVID canceled, so when they get sunset, if sunset, if we get COVID, like we should just cancel it. No, there should have, there should absolutely be. That's what you just be, said. That's not what I said. There should have that's been. That's what I heard. There should have been. Honestly, how did you yep. not have a contingency plan in place going into this thinking, if we get this, then we do X, Y, and Z. And here's the communication strategy for it. It was almost a foregone conclusion that well, of I, the 60 you're people suggesting, you bring to the North Shore, somebody's going to get it. You're suggesting that they didn't have that in place, and I'm saying they did have that in place, and I'm suggesting to you that 
there was powers greater than them that said, don't institute your contingency plan because yeah, we don't I, want anyone talking about it or it's going to come back to haunt me, the politician or the tourism board person or whoever it is that, you know, we need to please if we're going to stay in this state and do business in this state for years to come. We need these people on our side. So we're going to abide by what they're strongly suggesting we do. And although it doesn't, isn't part of our original contingency plan, now we're going dark because you know what, we got to think about the future. Look, when you look at actually the most successful companies, maybe it's Facebook that's, you know, creating, let's say atrocities, they spin all of those things into positive stories that benefit the business. The Trump campaign, that guy stepped in more piles of diarrhea than anybody ever and spun it into something that somehow benefited him and his business. You know what I mean? Like the WSL, if they don't have a PR team that can use the information that would potentially be volatile to help grow their business, they should, they need to hire somebody that can do that. Like that's part of business nowadays. That's you, David Lee Scales. Hey, so I agree on, with you. Hold on I, for just a sec. Bathroom Please. break. Let's go to commercial, Scott. <laughs> so you can use the bathroom. There's a lot of coffee going on here, man. I know. I'm not blaming. I'm just want to use the time. I had to do Welcome. math. Welcome back. What kind of math? Well, you know, to get the thing flowing, you have to do some math. You know, two plus two is four. <laughs> four plus four is eight. Eight plus eight is sixteen. Right around there, things start to move. You can. Oh, I. I've never encountered this. Oh yeah. You don't know about this theory. You're not old enough yet. Wait a second. What are you doing the math for? Is it because uh, you're overthinking peeing and you need to distract yourself? Yeah, I think that might be it. The prostate is so large that to get the flow happening, I do math. Amazing. Yeah, well, there you this go. is an amazing show. <laughs> this is one of the better shows. Okay, so speaking of math, give me – I just realized we should – Give me five things the WSL did right, or I'll give you five things they did right, and you give me five things they did wrong. Can we do that? One of the things- no, I'm fine with doing the right things too. I think one of the things they did right was, believe it or not, Strider in the lineup. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not saying everything he did was good. A lot of it wasn't so great. But one of the best things they did was they sort of, they, for how, for whatever reason, whether planned or not, it seems like they kind of took Strider off of a pedestal a little bit. Like they sort of made fun of Strider occasionally when, for whatever reason, and not like overt jabs, but just sort of like, like they were a family and they were, they were just having, you know, fun, yeah. you know, anyway. And I thought Strider did some good stuff there. And so that's one of the things they did. Right. The I other agree. Thing and Strider, is, Strider, by the way, gets barreled a big pipe and, like he's a tremendously insightful person to have in the water calling things. Yes. Um, the commentary, as I mentioned, I thought there was some really good insight. There was some great stuff as usual from Ross Williams and Barton Lynch's gold. Uh, one of the other things they did right was, uh, I don't know. That's all I got. I'm just riffing off the top of my head. You got anything? What did they do? Right. The 50, the 50 raw moments was amazing. 50 raw packaged Prepackaged 45 second little cutaways are coming back from commercials showing you some of historic, the most kind of dramatic historical moments at Pipeline were really well done. 
Did they do the top 10 or something or the top five? What was it? They counted, they counted down the top 50. You're kidding. They counted down the top 50. Yeah. I only saw like like three or four of those. Yeah. They counted them down uh, in reverse order and uh, they're all available on WSL's website. Because I I saw probably 15 or 20 out of the 50. So I went on their website and just like cherry picked a few other ones. That's cool. Number one. Do you know what the number one moment was? Yeah, I saw the number one. Yeah. It was Kelly versus Andy. Yeah. The, you know, uh, Kelly. 2003, I think. Maybe. Mm. Kelly patting Andy on the back on the beach and saying, I love you. And then going out and Andy barely beating Kelly in the final moments with um, a backdoor ride on a broken board or a board that was buckled. You could feel it buckled under his feet, but still surfed it to the score. I remember I was on the beach for that event. That was a lot of fun. Um, what else did they do right at the WSL? We've got four, we've got three things. We've got two other things they did right. I mean, look. How about, how about the call-ins? Well, Nah, that was a failure. The Collins, I some I of like them were having, good. Some of them were like, good. Some of them weren't. I like having access to the Colin, all those icons, but it's stilted and it's not. It didn't seem to be in real time, or like the person that was calling in was watching a feed, obviously, like you and I are. So there's a little bit of a delay. So somebody would be getting a big important ride out the back, and they're still riffing on some story from history, and then you realize that the commentators got wise to that and they would try to cut in the story and be like, Hey, wait, we're going to watch this ride right now. And then they throw back to Rochelle Ballard later. And Rochelle's like trying to pick up where she left off in her story. It was just, it was stilted. I thought Aki calling in was great. That was the one that I enjoyed because he just, you know, Aki just goes, you know, and him and Barton Lynch had a great thing going. And of course he and Joe Trappell know each other well. So but yeah, there were some awkward, there were some awkward ones, weren't there? I will say, in regard to um, what they did right, pulling off the event was heroic. Like it. Wait a minute! It's no small. <laughs> Wait a minute! You can't have your cake and eat it too. I'm saying there's a mil- considering all of the hoops that they had to jump through. It was an impossible effort, you know. Like so, the fact that they even pulled it off is crazy. But, okay, I got one failure, though, to back that up. So, you know, they got a film permit. Nobody's allowed to be on the beach. Yeah. Did you look down the beach at Gums? (laughs) Yeah. There's like 300 people down there. Literally. There's the fence keeping people off the beach at Pipe or Ayuka or whatever. Just beyond that, there's people shoulder to shoulder, nut to butt, 10 people deep, along the entire beach is like this huge horde of humanity, not social distancing. And it's kind of like, again, how much of this is just for show versus are you guys sincerely doing, you know, uh, the medically sound thing? Let me ask you this. This is an idea that's been floating around in my head for a while. Should the WSL just get a film permit from now on? Is that all you need is a film permit? Like these beach permits, these contest permits are – are super hard to get in Hawaii. There's only so many. They only give out so many. Why not just get a film permit every time? Look, if that makes more sense, go for it. But I think that the idea with the contest permit is trying to create a rock star arena vibe. You can still do that. Who's who's to say your film permit can't just have hundreds of people on the beach at Pipeline and you're just filming? Yeah, you just – 
Cool. Film permit. We might have set a precedent that's uh, could go all the way to the state Supreme Court. Unless you're beholden to all these people that you're talking about that can tell you how and how not to treat your customers. Uh, dude, believe me, if you think that people aren't beholden to the politicians, you're smarter than that. Come on. Um, regarding the surfing in the event, how'd you feel about Gabriel Medina? Um, well, I mean, we were treated to the perfect semifinals, right? Um, John John versus Slater and Gabe versus Elo. Gabe Medina looks like Tyler Wright, <laughs> in my opinion. In what way? Well, you remember how, like, he's just not, like, he's unstoppable. But the thing about Gabe is that, relative to Tyler, you feel like Tyler went out and gave it her all to win. Gabe, it kind of feels like the first event of the season, and Gabe's like, yeah, you know, I usually start slow. It felt like a slow start for Gabe Medina because he didn't win it. Right. I felt that way too. He was uncharacteristic. He fell throughout the event. He'd pull into a six-foot barrel that looked totally makeable, and he just didn't make it multiple times. There was a lot of um, mistakes made on Gabriel's part, not just in surfing, but strategically-wise too. He didn't seem to actually be applying strategy. He seemed to just be relying on getting barreled, which will get him through almost, you know, 30, I'd say 27 of the surfers on tour. Um, he, that you mentioned he drew current world champ, reigning pipeline champ, Idolo Ferrer in the semifinal. Idolo was injured. Idolo was carrying a couple of injuries. And I think that that really limited his ability against Gabriel. He actually had the highest scoring wave in the heat. He just didn't have a backup score. And Gabe kind of walked through the heat. Like Gabe really didn't apply. He got like a seven and a five or something and he made it through the heat. So I didn't feel like Gabe, which by the way, made me question if this was all intentional on Gabe's part, because we see lots of times there, we have so much expectation for Felipe Toledo. If he doesn't do a double rotation air, if he just does a crazy air reverse, he's getting a five. Whereas if Wade Carmichael did that exact air reverse, Wade Carmichael would get a nine. And so I was wondering if Philippe or if um, Gabriel was like kind of throwing it a little bit in the earlier heats where they were inconsequential so that he could just show up and be Gabriel in the final and the semifinal and the judges would be bowled over by it. Ultimately, he didn't do either of those things. He didn't do it against Idolo in the semi. And when he had to do it against John John, he actually blew his one opportunity. He had a potential 10 point ride in the final while he was holding priority with five minutes left when he needed it and he didn't make the wave. It looked like he could have made it. He didn't make yeah. it. So I'm not sure what was going on with Gabe other than maybe what you said, which is slow start, which equals second yeah. place for him. Yeah. I mean, overall, I, I, if I was a competitor uh, and my name was not Gabe Medina, I'd be concerned about Gabe Medina. He looks legit. Unless you're John, think, John Florence. Exactly. I mean, it's really going to come down. I think we're going to see a season where it's that rivalry is going to flourish even more. I was disappointed to see the sportsmanship at the end of that final. <laughs> I was hoping that there wouldn't be a hug and a, hey, love you too, bro. But um, obviously the rivalry can exist without, you know, venom. And uh, the rivalry is real. And everything that you get from the commentators about John John's headspace is that he's ready to go. He's raring to win a world title. And, and I think that, I think that probably Gabe is too. Yeah, I think the rivalry, 
I think you could see some teeth if Gabriel lost this year to John John. I could see Gabriel developing some disdain. Good. Because Gabriel won his two titles when John John didn't surf complete years due to injury. John John won his two titles when Gabriel was presumably trying to win. And so, yeah, on paper, it's even. They have 2-2. But I, I guess maybe Gabriel has a better record at Pipeline. So John John feels vitriol against that. But now John got one up on him. John's got two eddies. On paper, it's all pretty even. So there needs really. to be. Based on what you said, I've just created a hashtag, Gabe Asterisk Champion. Okay. That's the hashtag. Thank you, Dave. What? Oh, Astra. Oh, because, yeah, because John was injured. Yeah. John. Yeah. yeah. Gabe's championships, his titles came when John John Florence wasn't in the field. Those are asterisks. Partially. Partially. Yeah. Uh, now, final thoughts that I want to get from you on this uh, is just Kelly Slater in general. Are you, is Kelly going to win a 12th world title? I mean, my heart says, yeah, but my brain says no. I, this might be the best performance we see out of Kelly this year. Um, when the waves are good, obviously he shows up and he serves really well, but he lacked the tenacity. I mean, honestly, him losing to John, John, I mean, that was a great heat, by the way, the semifinal opened up with like Kelly on the first wave, got an 8.33, John, John out the back, gets the nine or almost a nine, eight, nine, three. John, John could have done an air. Instead he kicks out to make, out to the back to get priority, which actually benefited him because the next wave was a backdoor wave that he got a nine on. So Kelly's left searching for a score the entire time. Uh, Kelly, I feel like didn't surf that heat with the same level of kind of whatever he brought to even Jack Robinson in the heat before, like what, or what he would have brought with Andy in previous years, you know, like a little bit of that world title desire was missing from Kelly Slater surfing. Yeah. Uh, I would agree with you. Look, you know, chances are there will be no more world titles for Kelly. Could you imagine 12 world titles at the age of 48? I would love to. I would love to see it. But here's one questionable thing that I don't know if you caught. Um, towards the end of that heat, John John got a seven-point ride at backdoor. He used his priority. He got a long one at backdoor, and he ended up down the beach. Kelly now, sitting with priority, needing a nine-point something, went on a backdoor wave and fell, which made him closer to the takeoff zone, and he realized that. So Kelly collects his board, scrambles out back into the lineup. John John's making his way out to the lineup. Kelly, from what I could tell, made it to the lineup first, but they gave priority to John John. So the rule, I think, here states whoever makes it back to the lineup first gets priority, which is the way that they applied the rule earlier when I said Kelly got the first wave, John got the second, John opted not to do the air, he paddled out, and even though John rode the last wave, he still got priority because he made it out to the lineup first. So the exact opposite scenario happened with five minutes left at back door. Kelly's out the back first. They gave the priority to John John. So Kelly's left needing a nine-point ride, and John John has priority. Crazily enough, the wave comes with 30 seconds left. So 
if Kelly had been gifted priority, that gave that wave would have been Kelly's and it had the potential score on it. It wasn't guaranteed, but it had the potential score on it. John John was in position, paddled into the wave and Kelly knowing that John John does have priority, but also I don't have enough time to get another wave. Screw it. I'm just going to burn John and get barreled. And at least I'll get a barrel on my way in. And so Kelly, sure enough, burns John John, makes the wave, gets a pretty incredible barrel, probably not the nine point ride, but that priorities thing, if it would have been given to Kelly, maybe he would have positioned deeper. Maybe he could have got a nine on it. Like it had nine potential on it. So there was, I don't know that that priority was correctly called by the judges and it ended up having tremendous implications. It cost him his 12th world title. And John John got a pipe master because of it. Well, you know, father wants to help his son. <laughs> Did about, you see that go down? Did you question yes. it yourself? No, I didn't. I didn't question the priority. I didn't see it as deeply as you did. Of course, I watched the whole event. The whole it's heat. questionable. Yeah, I'm sure it was. And I, I guess my question to you is: Did the commentary team say anything? No. Yeah. Well, they. Uh, while the paddling was happening, they said, they go, oh, Kelly's paddling out first. He's going to get priority. And then when John got it, they go, oh, that's weird. I think that Kelly should have gotten it there. And then they just moved past it. It could be a situation where the perspective from our angle isn't as ideal and isn't as good a perspective regarding who yeah. gets out there first. Maybe. I think that – I know that Kelly probably would have mentioned it. I don't know if they did a post-heat interview with him after that heat, though, but – yeah, he, I thought about that too because he didn't vocally – like he didn't take to Instagram to complain about it. But yeah, He would. As you know, he would. Would he though? I mean, it's kind of maybe. a – you sound like a baby. Oh, yeah. I lost my heat. John John beat me. Like, Yeah, maybe not. But I mean, I, it looked like he had a legitimate complaint. More importantly than complaining about it, we would like to know and the competitors need to know why priority was given to John John in that scenario because we need to know that for the next time that this goes down. Yeah, I, I guess what I'm suggesting to you is that because there wasn't any um, verbal backlash or Instagram backlash or social media backlash around this one particular incident, maybe it wasn't as big as you seem to think. I think you are giving the WSL <laughs> way more credit for somebody, for an entity that has continually scorned and disappointed you and you keep giving, <laughs> being optimistic about what their intentions truly are. Uh, yeah. Not intentions. Their intentions are great. It's uh, yeah. more uh, fumbles that I'm yeah. pointing out. Fumbles that are, uh, I think, a result of just there's too many moving parts and you need probably a million people kind of and teams managing them. And it seems to be understaffed. I think what you really want is an entire tour at Lamore so that it can be perfectly homogenized to your liking. Yes, you know me so well. That's exactly what I want. <laughs> hey, let me tell you this. What if I told you Matthew McGivory would be in the top 10 after the first event? That's surprising, isn't it? it it's hugely surprising, and he was super impressive, to be honest. He was. He was. Really, he really good was. surfer. Yeah. That was sort of the surprise. As I look at the top 10, and there are some a couple surprises in here. I thought Jordy Smith over uh, delivered on my expectation. Jack Freestone really surfed well. Was not expecting I agree. That. How about if you look at the top 10, if you just look at the tour right now and you think, okay, in three weeks we're going to be at Sunset Beach. 
I mean, you can see some people in the bottom half, you know, Philippe Toledo. Um, yeah. Yago Dora, although I think Yago does pretty good at Sunset. Um, there's some guys on here where you're like, like Morgan Sibillic, like he's going to have a, a, a tough go of it. I, I, I'm just assuming that these people haven't spent a lot of time out at Sunset Beach. Maybe they have, it, but. It's really, it's going to, I love the uh, fact that Sunset is the second event of the year because it's really going to separate um, the men from the boys, to be perfectly yeah. honest. Like, I think yeah. Felipe Toledo, he's benefited from the event starting at Snapper every year, and this year he's going to really struggle. Um, yeah. He's in 17th right now, equal 17th. It'll be interesting after the Hawaii leg here to see how this shakes out. And really the pressure that'll be on those guys that are at the bottom half that normally are in the top half after the first exactly. leg of the tour. They're the like, now you have to perform at snapper, dude. You, you, you know, you better pull it, pour it at on sunset. Here. No, I mean, after the, after that oh. leg, like if they go to Australia and you know, the guys that are normally in the top 10 are at the bottom half of the tour rankings there's a lot of pressure on Felipe now to get it done. Totally. Um, do you want to offer survival picks uh, for sunset <laughs> so that people can do the opposite? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm going to suggest to you that here's my, here's who's going to get through this heat, this whatever. <laughs> How about I'm going to throw out Yago Dora. That's my Yago. Yeah, I'm picking Yago. Yago. Okay. Smart. Yago. Smart. Yago will get through the sunset. Okay. Good. I'll reserve mine. I'll give you mine uh, when we're going into the event. All right. Well, Scott, Merry Christmas. Yeah, I have a, a musty moment. Um, Matt Warshaw sent out one of his weekly um, emails. I'm sure you saw it. Latest Mason Ho edit with Mason and Kelly Slater at V-Land. I think it's the latest one. He and just it's fascinating. Posted, I think he just posted a new one yesterday, but yeah, it was this week, this last week. Kelly and Mason switchboards. Um, and of course, it's just perfect, beautiful V-Land. I think V-Land would be, if I could just have one wave to serve for the rest of my life, it might be V-Land. That wave Good is call. so much fun. Good Without call. anybody, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Anyway, yeah. What are you? Uh, oh, hoping by the to way, get? huh? What are you hoping to get for Christmas? Did you put something on your list? Um, PlayStation Five. Well, like you, or I'm assuming you do this, but most people I know do this at my age is that we just buy our own Christmas <laughs> presents. So I have. I have restrung my guitars. So I had my guitars tuned up, cleaned and restrung. And um, that'll be good for me. I got everything I need. Yeah. Yeah, I don't buy myself Christmas gifts per se, but I buy myself what I need throughout the year. So it's kind of pointless. Kind of, yeah. Thank you. I knew I'd get you to say Christmas is pointless. Thank you. Totally pointless. Um, I do want to mention. We are producing a giant used surfboard parking lot sale at the Del Mar Fairgrounds in the main parking lot. So if you want to sell your used surfboards, um, 
there'll be information on the boardroom website shortly where you can sign up for that. But it's just out outside in the main parking lot of the fairgrounds, a giant used surfboard parking lot sale. That's uh, going to take there, place January 23rd. Is there any restriction to the type of boards? Is, are they collector no. boards or just? No, no, no. Just, it's just a use. It's a swap. It's a surfboard swap. Awesome. So bring your boards or bring your money. Um, and if you want to sell your boards, you need to register on the boardroom show website, but that registration form isn't quite finished yet. I'm still working on it, but um, we'll have that thing up probably by the end of the week here, but I wanted to get the mojo rolling for that. So um, what's the excited about the swap? It's Saturday, January 23rd at the fairgrounds parking lot. The main, and it's free to the public, free parking, free to the public. Cool. A surfboard swap. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, Stay a surfboard away from one another. Right. Exactly. Well, it's outside, and of course, there'll be um, proper uh, COVID precautions. All right, man. Merry yeah. Christmas. Yes. Until next time, Merry Christmas. Adios and aloha. Outside a department store A gang of kids came over and mugged me And knocked my reindeer to the floor We said, Father Christmas, give us some money Don't mess around with those silly toys We'll beat you up, don't hand it over We want your bread, so don't make us annoyed Give all the toys to the little rich On a jigsaw or a monopoly money We only want the real McCoy Father Christmas, give us some money We'll beat you up if you make us annoyed Father Christmas, give us some money Don't mess around with those silly toys But give my daddy a job cause he needs me He's got lots of mouths to feed But if you've got what I have, a machine gun So I can scare all the kids
We got no time for your silly toys. Father Christmas, please hand it over. We'll beat you up, so don't make it.